every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Tuesday, the 28th of November. We have the major business and finance stories from across Asia and affecting Asia covered in time for the opening of the markets and an expert panel of guests to analyze the day's news. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, US online shopping hits record highs on Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday and was expected to have surged through the holiday weekend and into yesterday's Black Monday. Shoppers spent more than $5.5 billion US dollars online on Thanksgiving Day. That's an all-time high, according to Adobe Analytics. Black Friday shoppers spent a record $9.8 billion in online sales, up 7.5% from last year. And Adobe upgraded its forecast for yesterday's Cyber Monday, with sales across the e-commerce sector expected to be between $12 billion to $12.4 billion. That's also a record high, and up from $11.3 billion a year ago. A new poll of Taiwanese voters found the outsider opposition candidate for president has jumped past the ruling party's candidate into the lead position ahead of the January 13th election. Ko Win Dae, the Taiwan People's Party nominee, had an approval rating of 31.9% versus 29.2% for Democratic Progressive Party's Lai Ching Tae, according to the poll released Monday by the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation. The opposition Gomentang's Hu Yi was third with 23.6% according to the survey conducted between November the 29th, so November the 19th to the 21st. However, the poll was conducted before talks of an opposition alliance collapsed. Japan's services inflation hit a 40-month 45-month high in October, coming in at 2.3%, compared with last month's revised rate of 2%. The last time the services inflation rate hit this level was in January 2020, when it also recorded 2.3%. Exports from Hong Kong rose 1.4% year-on-year to $379.9 billion in October. That's the first growth after a year and a half of successive contractions, and it rebounded from September's 5.3% drop. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Allcroft, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our US Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Wood. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or comments, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. And while you're there, please take a look at my Asian Daily Newsletter. U.S. stocks were mixed on Monday, ahead of a busy week of inflation data and commentary from Federal Reserve officials, including Chairman Jerome Powell. Last week, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite rallied for the fourth straight week, which is the longest win streak since June. On Monday, the S&P 500 shed 0.2% to 4,550. The Dow lost 57 points, or 0.2% to 35,333. The Nasdaq Composite edged 0.1% lower to 14,241. Treasury yields extended their November declines after fresh data showed new US home sales had unexpectedly slipped in October and following a successful auction of new two-year and five-year paper. The rate-sensitive two-year Treasury yield was down 7 basis points to 4.89%. The benchmark 10-year yield dropped 9 basis points to 4.39%. Oil is down a fourth day before Thursday's delayed OPEC Plus meeting, and as Israel and Hamas appear to have agreed to extend their ceasefire agreement. The Brent contract for January fell 0.7% to settle at $79.98 a barrel. 
Gold prices rose to a six-month high on Monday and extended the November gain to 1.5%. The yellow metal has benefited from the dollar's weakness as traders become more confident that US interest rates have already peaked. Spot gold prices rose as much as 0.6% to $2,013 a troy ounce. That's the highest level since mid-May. And the US dollar index is on track to post its biggest loss of the year this month. The index, which tracks the US dollar against a basket of foreign currencies, has slid 3.3% since November began. On Monday, the yen was the G10 outperformer, rallying half a percent to 148.68 per dollar. And on the mainland, the Chinese yuan was 0.1% weaker at 7.1%. Five and a quarter renminbi to the dollar. Chinese markets were dragged lower by property stocks. The Hang Seng Index, which was down 200 points earlier in the session, closed 34 points or 0.2% lower at 17,525. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index slumped 2.5%. That, combined with Friday's loss of 2.2%, has almost wiped out Thursday's surge of over 6% following the news of government-led financing support for the property sector. The Hang Seng Tech Index rose 0.2%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell for a third straight session, declining a third of a percent to 3,032 after hitting a three-week low earlier in the day. And one other thing to note, the one-month Hong Kong interbank offered rate, known as HIBOR, which is used to price the majority of local mortgage loans, has hit its highest level since October 2007. The Hong Kong Association of Banks on Monday said the one-month HIBOR had risen 15 basis points to 5.53%, while the three-month HIBOR, which determines corporate loans, rose 7 basis points to 5.7%, and demand for the local currency has been on the rise, strengthening the Hong Kong dollar. The US dollar Hong Kong dollar rates decreased to a 47-week low of 7.7888 on Monday. Futures markets pointing to a decline of about 40 points for the Hang Seng at the open. Looks like the index is going to start the day at 17,488. And just a reminder once again that you can get the latest details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our Tuesday morning guests. As always on a Tuesday morning, we have Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft with us. Morning, Stuart. Good morning, Peter. And also joining us, Mark Michelson, who is chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning to you, Mark. Good morning. And very shortly, hopefully, we will have dialing in our US economics correspondent who is in Phoenix, Arizona this morning, Barry Wood. We'll speak to Barry uh, very shortly. In the meantime, let's start uh, looking at some of the data that we've had um, out of China. First of all, China's industrial profits continued to decline in October, but at its slowest pace in almost a year, according to government data released yesterday. Profits earned by China's industrial firms declined by 7.8% year on year to 6.115 trillion yuan in the first 10 months of the year. That slowed from a 9% slump in the prior period, and it's declining now at its slowest pace since December 2022. Um, Stuart and Mark, um, what's this telling us? Uh, is, is it a good sign, at least telling us that maybe things are stabilising in the local economy? Well, yeah, it's slowing down. We know that we, we know the Chinese economy is slowing down. And uh, you know, look, the the 
action of President Xi Jinping over the last few weeks has been to try to stimulate the economy a fair bit. Um, so he, he would be well aware that uh, there is a need for that stimulation. And what these numbers are telling us is just confirmation of the slowdown of the economy. Now, given that last year and previous year, the economy in China was very badly hit by COVID and the and, and, and the lockdown of the economy entirely. Um, I, I think these numbers are not so bad. And uh, at this stage, we, we should expect to see some improvements keep going forward. They, uh, Yemaya, the members of our group don't need don't need the numbers. <laughs> they're seeing they're seeing the impact mm. as it goes along. Not that you know, most cases, many cases, uh, their results aren't bad. They're just not what they thought they would be. It's, yeah, it's a matter of expectations. And so what that is triggering is a reassessment of strategy of China within the corporation. What's their role in the global corporation? And what do you do within China? Do you focus more on on China for China and and, and the rest of it, even to a greater extent? Still think China's going to grow and maybe they'll grow better than much of the rest of the world, especially next year. But these aren't the numbers that that I think anyone expected. Uh, a few months ago, let's put it. Yeah, and, and we've got to remember that most of the time, um, most economists are, are very disparaging anyway about the, yeah. the official numbers that come out of China. Yeah. It's Absolutely. not the number that counts, it's the trend that counts when mm. you look at numbers mm -hmm. in China. And what is the direction? Because that's more important. And, and I think what we're seeing is some sort of uh, improvement. It might not be as much or enough, but it's a, a better a better number than would have otherwise been expected. Well, the bottom line for, for us and for many of our members is that, that China's worth the effort. Yes. Going yes. forward. So that's, you know, that's it. So despite all the reports of foreigners pulling out of the markets, foreign direct investment um, slowing, you're still seeing, your group is still saying, we want to be in China, we still see They want to be in China, but, they, but, they, but they're doing China plus one mm. or China plus two. So it's not they're pulling out of China, they're just reconfiguring their investments around the yeah, world. Yeah, and, and, and we need to be much... We need to be a lot more disparaging about all these media reports about China. Yeah. Um, it, it's the, the media loves to have a, a go at different uh, subjects, and China is probably the one that they're having the most go about it, uh, right now. Um, most of what's written in the media about China is complete rubbish, and uh, we need to understand that a little better. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm probably being a little bit aggressive here, but... <laughs> I think what Except we see for on... Stuart Allcroft and Mark <laughs> Michelson. Oh, well, good evening to you, Barry, too. <laughs> Hi, Barry. Hey. Well, well, welcome, Barry Wood. Barry's joined us in Phoenix, Arizona, I believe, today. Good morning, Barry. Oh, good evening good to you. Nice to hear from you. We're talking about uh, China, of course, obviously over there, a lot of focus on China, isn't there? There's American companies in particular who are saying that, um, you know, the China market is uninvestable at the moment. Well... Don't forget all those several dozen CEOs who were in San Francisco mm -hmm. to meet President Xi. And uh, those guys would not be saying it's uninvestable. They want back in. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they gave him a standing ovation, which is not popular with members <laughs> of Congress, but, <laughs> but it gave you an idea. 
Yeah, and it also managed to clean the streets of San Francisco. So yes. how bad could that be? That's, that's something, isn't it? That's something. Mark, are, are you yeah. seeing, are your members seeing any particular sectors where uh, a pickup in activities is particularly noticeable? Well, you know, they online, and the, those are involved in that are, are seeing that, although the consumer, you know, varies, but consumer spending still is not what they hoped it would be or it's you know it's it's a little, little inconsistent uh various parts of automotive as well especially those who supply automotive companies mm. you know the some of the especially the chinese companies like byd and others they're doing pretty well that's a booming that's sector isn't well. it yeah anything it to do with the evs yep but, what, but it's interesting to to note um we've seen in the last couple of days reports about how many of the uh, Chinese tourists coming to Hong Kong are not spending money in the same way as they used That's to. Right. And, and, the, and the type of money they're spending, it's not as if they're spending less, but they're, they're not spending it in the same way as they used to. And so, so different parts of the Hong Kong economy, for example, are, are, are going to be a beneficiary and that there are other parts that won't be. What they're not doing is going to the factory jewellery shops. They're not going to the mm. factory warehouse outlets. Um, there are a lot more independent tourists coming to Hong Kong and uh, and some of them are complaining, as are indeed people in Hong Kong, that prices are not competitive enough at the moment. Uh, some of them are saying that prices need to come down a bit more. Um, and probably that's uh, we've we've seen the uh, Singles Day in China. We've seen Black Friday or Cyber Monday or any other concoction to try to spend people or part people from their money. Um, but none of these have been as successful in certainly in Hong Kong and China as presumably they are in, in other parts of the world. Mm, and, it, and why is that? And what, well, one of the reasons, you know, that that it's changed is not the only reason is that many Chinese find what they want to buy is available in China. Now it always was many of the name brands and so on, but they have more confidence in it now, especially, yeah. you know, they're not knockoffs. They're, they're genuine articles and so on, which is one of the reasons they used to come to Hong Kong and were willing to pay the higher prices that Stuart just mm -hmm. outlined. I don't think Hong Kong's adjusted very well. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, maybe they can't. Well, yeah. on, on Hong Kong, we've had some data out of Hong Kong yesterday as well on the trade. Exports from Hong Kong rose 1.4% year on year. Now, that's the first growth after a year and a half of successive contractions, and it rebounded from September's 5.3% drop. Unfortunately, imports grew even faster. Um, they're up 2.6% uh, to $405.6 billion. So that still leaves Hong Kong with a trade deficit, which is going to be a drag on GDP. But nevertheless... Uh, Stuart, this is moving in the right direction as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and what's most interesting is how um, the destination of exports from Hong Kong has varied quite a bit. The US is no longer such an important destination. And indeed, um, China has dropped as a destination. India has become the biggest growth area for exports, which is uh, you know quite a quite an achievement, we know the Indian economy is growing very well at the moment, and and the, and the market in India is very strong. So 
uh, it's inevitable. So so long as Hong Kong has got the right goods to sell there, um, that India will be will be very popular indeed. Now, on the other hand, imports. Um, well, Hong Kong does has always been an import export. Uh, economy and a lot of the imports that come into Hong Kong then go on to China mm. and so we need to be alert to that and as as we've just discussed with a slowdown in China then the, then there will be inevitably a slowdown in, in 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 the imports coming into Hong Kong that go on to China and I think that's what's being reflected in the numbers right now no I mean no I I, I basically agree uh, you know there are, of course there's some hope in those numbers but Hong Kong, it also it just underlines Hong Kong's dependence on external markets. That's not new. It always always has been that way. But with the uncertainties we were just talking about in China, not that it's not growing, but it's not not growing in the same ways that we expected. And also, tourism spending, as Stuart pointed out, isn't quite the same as it was. It's different patterns, and uh, Hong Kong has to make adjustments. And so it's going to be a rough go. It was interesting. Uh, the chief executive spoke at, uh, to all the business groups, uh, all the business chambers, about about a week or week and a half ago. Mentioned a lot of things, but didn't mention that the uh, government had actually had reduced its forecast for mm. the year. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> <clears throat> this was when he would have otherwise been in San Francisco. Yes, that, that, is, that is true. That's true. Schedule yeah, was busy. <laughs> Now, look, we have Barry with us. Let's let's bring Barry into into the discussion. Thank you, Barry. I presume you've rushed back from the shops from your Cyber Monday spending because it's hit a record high um, on Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Shoppers spent more than five and a half billion US dollars online on Thanksgiving Day. That's an all time high, according to Adobe Analytics, which analyzes sales from the top retailers in the US. Black Friday shoppers spent a record nine point eight billion US dollars in online sales. That's up 7.5% from last year. And for uh, today, still in the US, because it is still uh, Cyber Monday, Adobe has just upgraded its forecast for Cyber Monday. It expects now sales across the e-commerce sector uh, to be between 12 billion to 12.4 billion US dollars. That's a record high, uh, and it's up from 11.3 billion a year ago. I mean, Barry, these are pretty astonishing numbers, aren't they, really? I mean, the, the, the US shopper um, has still got plenty of ammunition, if you look at this data. That's right. Plenty of ammunition. I think it just shows the extent to which the stimulus money is still in people's pockets. And it will be good news to the Federal Reserve because that shows that the economy is not slipping into recession. Now, on the other hand, you could say, hold it, maybe it's going to be running hot. And therefore, we should think about a rate increase just coming up in the next meeting. But I think that... um, What really explains the very hot retail sales and the immense activity, both flying and shopping, is that prices have come down. They've come down at the gasoline pump. They have come down in the shops. And that is unexpected. I don't think anyone thought that was going to happen. But the fact is, things just keep rolling along. So this is a Goldilocks economy still, and I think that there will not be a rate increase coming up in the next Fed meeting, but it is uh, it is rather extraordinary because I think all of the private sector 
Forecasters did not see this coming. The Federal Reserve did not see this coming. And certainly the Treasury didn't. Now, will it continue? Who knows? But certainly the signs are very positive. Well, when it comes to price rises, as you mentioned, inflation has been coming down in recent months. But nevertheless, prices are still higher than a year ago. Um, do people sort of remember that? Do they look back and say, oh, geez, you know, this time last year, I was paying whatever it was less for these goods? Or are they just um, focused on what's happening in recent months? I think they focus on what happens in recent months. I'm reminded of what William McChesney Martin observed, and he was at the Fed even longer than Alan Greenspan. What was it, 1951 to 1970? Yeah, Eisenhower, mostly. McChesney Martin said, the purchasing power lost to inflation never returns. And I think that's true. So therefore, if you look at restaurant prices, if you look at certain food prices, they're still much higher than they were. But if you look at retail sales numbers, what you're finding available at a big discount in Walmart, Target, etc., those prices have in fact come down. And I don't know what that compares to a year ago, but the shopper certainly finds, whether it's online or in the big box retailers, the prices are attractive. Therefore, they're buying. Mm. And they're not being put off by high interest rates, which is interesting, isn't it, really? Because um, obviously the Fed hopes these high interest rates are slowing the economy. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I suspect that with Thanksgiving and now the beginning of the Christmas and holiday shopping, people are saying, oh, yeah, that credit card bill will come at the end of December. I'll deal with it then. So I think you're going to see probably an adjustment in January. But they're spending like crazy at the moment. You can't get into parking lots. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's Goldilocks. Well, Barry, here's an interesting statistic that I've come across for this, uh, this weekend. Buy now, pay later spending. It soared 20% compared to last year's Black Friday, and it's expected to jump 19% on Cyber Monday to a record high, about 782 million. So what it means is that, in other words... You get a deal that's 20% off, but you're financing it with credit card debt that has a 30% interest rate. You, you sort of think this can't end well. Well, that's probably true. But that latter part of your statement is not what the person who parked his car at Target and went inside had in his mind. He wasn't thinking of a 30% interest <laughs> rate on his credit card. He was thinking, <laughs> these prices are attractive. Let me have that widescreen television set bigger than what I have at home. Now, it's an amazing thing. And I think that's why it's not all good news, because January will see a slowdown. But the fact is, the prices are attractive and people are shopping. And then eventually the bill will arrive. So is this also leading to a, a greater profitability or are are the prices set at a level that don't necessarily lead to greater profitability? <laughs> You know, Stuart, I think one would have to really look at the structure of the purchase price that retailers have paid to the producers, mostly in China and certainly in Asia. Very little in the consumer end of things is made in the USA. But I've got a feeling that it is the producers that are taking the loss, if there is a loss. I think they're probably making money and that the sales numbers will be good and the profit numbers will be good. 
but that's just a guess. Mm, interesting. Mark, when you look at this from over here as, as, a, as an American, <laughs> sorry that you may be missing out on, well, yeah. perhaps you don't have to miss out on Cyber Monday these days. You no, can you join can do, in. You can do it easily online. No, it, I am, what, what, Barry, what Barry says explains quite a lot. What's interesting also is that, well, Barry might correct me now, politically in the U.S., it doesn't seem to be benefiting the administration that much, partly, I guess, because of as as you say, they the uh, the consumers don't think of of this as that much better. They do in the short term, but overall, they still they still see inflation as an as an issue and as one they're they're afraid is going to get worse at some point. They do, Mark, and I think that um, just on a again a very basic level, the reason that the Biden administration is not getting credit is that the television images of President Biden are not favorable to the president. They look at an older man to be somewhat generous in this comment. We need to be careful when we're talking about that. (laughs) We do. And I think that um, that's the reason that Mm -hmm. the administration is not getting the credit that it quite rightly deserves. And, you know, this inflation downtrend is impressive. I mean, it really is. You can look at all the charts, the graphs say it. And I think it's leveling out. I'm not sure that the Federal Reserve wants to declare victory, but it's getting pretty close. But it's certainly not going to meet the market expectations of four interest rate cuts next year, surely, is it? I don't think so. Uh, I think that um, the, the consumer and the home buyer is probably going to adjust to real positive interest rates. Mm. That's the way it used to be. And I think it is again, and I, you know, sure, if the economy slows, the Fed will act. But uh, we're, we're sort of reverting to the, to the mean or going back to what might have been called normal. Yeah. Next year, though, I, my, my suspicion is that the Fed will delay any interest rate cuts anyway till the second half of next year. And that actually is quite good for Biden and uh, and his administration, because that will look more positive just as they're coming up to the voting season. Yeah, that's our, for, that's our forecast as well. If, if not the second half, the very, very end of the first half. And, and, you know, who knows at this point, but that's what it looks like. Isn't yeah, it- and I think that's particularly so, Peter, if Donald Trump is seen by that time to be inevitably the Republican candidate. That will cause people to reconsider. And certainly Biden's popularity, I would guess, is going to increase in that situation. Mm. Although Donald Trump as the candidate is either going to be in jail or the candidate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which wouldn't prevent him from being elected president. So that's well, of hard. course not. Ah. He, he would but it gives president. pause, Mark, <laughs> yeah. as you enter the voting booth or mail in your ballot. Because you say, hold it, this has never happened before. And let's not forget, at some point, former President Trump will have to reveal his thinking on lots of issues, which he's not doing. Not People done at may all. say there's not that much difference in his cognitive ability than President Biden. 
Mm. <laughs> now, look, before we finish, there's a couple of things out here I wanted to ask you about. First of all, the one-month Hong Kong interbank offered rate, known as HIBOR, is used to price the majority of local mortgage loans, has hit its highest level since October 2007. The Hong Kong Association of Banks yesterday said one-month HIBOR rose 15 basis points to 5.53%. Now, remember, about two years ago, uh, one-month high bar was 0.2%. The three-month high bar, which determines corporate loans, that rose seven basis points to 5.7%. Um, Stuart, this is not good news for the local property market, is it? No, and the property market has not been having a good time for quite a while here or in China. We've talked endlessly about China's property market and the, and, and the negativeness of that is beginning to feed off here. There are more empty properties now and more properties that are due to come online in Hong Kong over the next few months. So I think it is certainly um, this isn't a good time to be a big property developer or, 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 or owner, I suppose. Um, and, and yes, of course, interest rates have gone up. But, but in reality, I mean, the, the figure that we're talking about is is not so high compared to maybe a sort of 50-year average. So it's a matter mm -hmm. of whether or not um, companies get through this. If they think that this rate of HIBOR is, is reaching peak levels, then they can cope with it. If they thought that HIBOR would go up further and, and further would be to almost 6%, then I think that might be of a real concern to many local uh, businesses, especially property companies. Mark, are you seeing from your members concern over the local property market and the, the drag effect it's having on the local economy? Yeah, absolutely, and especially those who are – well, it affects all of them, right? Because they they at least rent or they, they some of them own property, and plus it affects their businesses. So uncertainties about Hong Kong's economy in many different areas, including, uh, including ones we've described earlier today. Not, you know, not, not – not not terribly worried, but certainly the concerns are there. Barry, what's the mood like over there for US equities? We've seen this extraordinary rally now off the late October lows, three months of declines. But then uh, in November, we've bounced about 13% from those lows in November. It's probably worth pointing out uh, that the November rally has left the S&P 500 just 5% away from an all-time high. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it, given what we've seen this year? But nevertheless, US investors seem to be getting pretty euphoric and are anticipating this Santa Claus rally. And it's yes, I think uh, you've, you've got it exactly right. Look, uh, there's an inflow of money into the market. And it is amazing, I think, to all of us that the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza has not had more negative impact on equity markets. It's extraordinary. But let's not forget, 2022 was a bad year. So 2023 and approaching those highs that were set earlier this year, that's that's only takes us. We're not having a huge rally yet, but it does seem that we're uh, we're in, as you call it, a Santa Claus boom. And it's very correlated with what's happening in the bond markets, isn't it? So as Treasury yields come down, uh, stocks, uh, stocks are rallying at the moment. And the, the 10 years down about, what, 50 basis points now since it's high in mid-October. That's right. Now, it's again an adjustment that was not foreseen. You know, we were very close to 5% on the 10-year bond, and now we've retreated. 
So people are getting used to these higher rates and they're they're refining. Obviously, the housing market suffers a bit, but not that much. So um, remarkable. I suppose, Stuart, the, the key thing that's uh, of, of interest for out here is, of course, what's happening to the US dollar. And the US dollar has basically given up all its gains now uh, for the year, which traditionally is pretty good for emerging markets. Yeah, well, yes, but it's also because the markets are themselves strengthening a fair bit. Um, and I think uh, it's not as if the US dollar is collapsing. It's, mm. it's a slow decline. It's not that, it's not that serious. Um, and, and most of the emerging markets, particularly in age, Asia, are actually doing pretty well. So mm. I think that they're, 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 that's helping to strengthen some of the currencies around the region. Hong Kong, um, as a currency, the Hong, Hong, Kong, Hong Kong dollar is uh, strengthening against the US, albeit that it's, of course, very closely linked to the peg. Um, the only big one is that the Chinese RMB is falling still against the yeah. The dollar, and um, that's that ought to be good for Chinese exports. Um, hasn't hasn't really uh, impacted it yet, but it should should be eventually. And well, you could say, Stuart, that the um, the yen has strengthened all the way to what one forty eight. Let me say a quick word on Japan, since very very mentioned it. That's where inflation is an issue. Okay, it's Japanese inflation, but decades <laughs> yeah, of falling well, prices, but... you know, and and now it it's changed. It's tight job markets, lifting labor costs, broadening of of, of price pressures. So the impact could be on turning around the ultra loose monetary policy, or at least changing direction. Not right away, but 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 pretty soon. And of course, this has hurt the bond market in Japan as well. So uh, basically, as as a, a good a good phrase by uh, from Reuters came, investment is shifting from banks are upstaging crematoria and cake making robots <laughs> in terms of Japanese, <laughs> which I which I think is is wonderful. I'm ad- adding that to my Christmas wish list: a cake making yeah, yeah. robot. Yeah. <laughs> are, are your members optimistic about Japan? I mean, the falling the falling yen. I mean, that's obviously um, they want us. Good, they isn't want it? us to. They want us to do. We're going to do a special session on Japan because, you know, the uh, uh, one of my friends uh, is uh, is the head of commercial, the commercial section of the uh, U.S. Embassy there. He's got so much to do. Mm. He's, he's overwhelmed by by uh, customers, mm. potential customers. So there's a new interest. It may not be well well seated, but it's but definitely there's interest in Japan, not only from American investors but from many others. And finally, Stuart, on the, on the markets, obviously the, um, the the fly in the ointment is here in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng Index down about 12% uh, year to date. The Shanghai Composite down a couple of percent as well year to date. These are the worst performing markets in the world. Yes, well, <laughs> they are for this year, I suppose. They were and last year as well, weren't they? No, this is always a, a, a speculative bit. Um, that leads them to be potentially quite good performers next year. Um, but mm. the Hong Kong market is so dependent on China these days, 60, 70 percent of the Hang Seng Index are Chinese companies. Um, and, and with the big collapse of property companies, there's also part of that index. Um, Hong Kong could not have been expected to do well as the Hang Seng Index. But if you take out the China companies, some parts of the Hong Kong um, market are doing reasonably well. So I think next year, 
next year looks more favourable, definitely. Well, thank you all very much. Very interesting to hear your comments this morning. You heard there, Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our US Economics Correspondent over in Phoenix, Arizona this morning, Barry Wood. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On tomorrow's programme, I'm joined by Enzio von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. With a view from Japan is Dan Kerrigan, the CEO of Interactive Brokers Securities in Japan. Have a good Tuesday. Money Talk.